Hey, Straight Talk on Leadership listeners. This week's episode is a radio interview that Dean had on the Russell and Hunter Show. The interview explores ways to make police better for both the cops and the community in light of the tragic passing of George Floyd. We hope you enjoy. And remember, leadership rocks. Hi, I'm Dean Chris. Welcome to Straight Talk on Leadership. This is what we'd like to say is the no BS zone, where we give you leadership tips, ideas, and practical suggestions to help you become a top leadership performer. Our goal is simple, help you become the best version of yourself and reach your highest potential as a leader. So sit back, turn up the volume, be ready to change your life. Well, we're looking for solutions. We don't just want to have a conversation. We want to try to make things better. So we're going to talk to an expert about that here on Russell and Hunter. Mike is off today. Rob Hunter's sitting in and joining us now. He spent 17 years as a police chief, and he's got some novel ideas on how to move policing forward. That's better for officers and for the community. His name is Dean Crisp. He is with the Leaders Helping Leaders Network now. And first and foremost, Dean, it is a pleasure to have you on And I wanted you to react to the fact that the three other officers in George Floyd's death have now been charged. The officer who had his 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 knee on Floyd's neck, the charges against him have been upgraded. This is something you called for in a blog: uh, accountability. And as you're reacting to this, do you feel that accountability is starting there in Minneapolis? Well, I mean the the fact that these officers were charged, and the fact that they've charged now everyone in the case. Uh, would be a beginning point of accountability, and I think that that's a starting point for us. Uh, anybody who watched the tape of uh, George Floyd uh, dying literally on camera live was just inexcusable. The conduct was just something that police departments across the, the nation, we all ultimately just gasp with, whoa, this is a horrible event that we're witnessing right before our eyes. And any person can see that that was excessive, and any person with any common sense can see that that was just not within any policy guidelines of any police agency. Uh, it's just it's a horrible situation. And this ties in exactly to what you're doing now, Chief, in that you have been talking about this for years, that there's a better way to do this that's better for members of the community, like me, and members for the officers, too, because a lot of us love our officers. We know that most of them are good people, but we know there's some bad eggs in there. So you kind of said it in a sense that there's kind of two mentalities that police departments and officers should take, the warrior mindset and the guardian mindset. Explain what those are, if you would. Well, the, the warrior mindset is just that. It's, it's constantly being ready to act. It's constantly on guard. It's constantly protecting. It's constantly doing due diligence with your job. It's uh, police officers a lot of times suffer from this thing called hypervigilance, means that they're constantly, even off-duty, they're in this kind of state where they're ready to act, and they're constantly seeing the world from a threat-based perspective. So being a warrior just simply means you're on go all the time. You, In all situations, you're uh, trying to be uh, protect yourself, you're trying to take care of the people, and you're just that, a warrior. Now, the guardian mindset, which we talked about, I talked about in a TED Talk, tends to be you are protecting, you're guarding, you're trying to make sure that the people are safe. You're doing all those things, but you're doing that with a mindset, with partnering with the community. It's not 
us against the community. So the warrior mindset tends to see everybody as a threat. A guardian tends to recognize threats, if you will, and then tends to react, uh, you know, with common sense and doing things in a form that would be protecting people instead of abusing people. Now, a good example of that is a traffic stop. If an officer walks up and just as, let me see your driver's license, let me see this, you know, very tactically sound, it's very hard to cut that warrior mentality off because there's always a threat of vehicle stops turning bad. So you really have to train the officer to, when they recognize those things and they recognize they're just having an encounter, go back to the, the guardian mindset, not that constantly, you know, ready to react response. And that's really hard to do because our body defense system really fights against that. If you get in that agitated state, it's really hard to bring yourself down. So we're fighting a lot of things there. No question about it. And that's why we know that being a, a police officer is one of the hardest jobs out there for sure. Speaking of, we're talking to Dean Crisp. He was police chief in Columbia, South Carolina for 17 years, overall 30 years as a cop. So he knows what he's talking about. So some of the changes you're, you're talking about here and you've been talking about for years could be, I'd imagine, meeting some resistance in police departments. So what kind of resistance do you meet and do you try to teach about, and how do you overcome that as a department in going from this, you know, warrior mindset, which a lot of which comes out of the academy, right? You're going to deal with, you know, the, the dangerous people in the, in the world. You have to go deal with them. How do you add in that guardian mindset, and how do you get other departments to say, yeah, that's a really good idea? Well, you know, the first thing we got to understand that there is a cultural norm of the warrior mindset because we tend to teach young cops the threat of violence that they face when they get out on the road, which that's real. That's really hard sometimes to turn that off. I mean, you will see some police academies across the nation that will spend a great deal of time playing videos where cops are shot and getting cops to prepare for engagement with people and those things. And those early on are ingrained in the, in the police mentality. And then when they get out there, they see the world. You know, cops generally deal with the tough element of society. Cops are generally called when things go wrong, so they do have to prepare for those things. There's no doubt about it. But the role of police in modern-day society is not always the warrior mentality. People want police to be seen as a part of their community and part of the solutions for what's going on in their community, not as an adversary. And that's really hard to do. It's going to start with our cultural, cultural norms. And if I can for a second, I believe this uh, George Floyd situation here really brings us to a special tipping point in law enforcement because I, this situation feels a little different than the ones before, like Eric Garner and those cases like that, or, or Michael Brown and Ferguson. Ferguson was definitely a tipping point for law enforcement, but this one also feels like that. It just feels different. There's a number of reasons for that. What are those reasons? What 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 do you think is different about George Floyd, Chief? Chief Dean Crisp is with us, 17 years as a police chief, is talking about ways to modernize police departments to make them more effective as the roles of officers have changed. What's different about George Floyd versus the other ones specifically? Is it it's well, just that feeling that you have as a cop? Well, you know, you're seeing a different engagement with the officers who are trying to stop the protesters or there for protection. 
never before have you seen as many instances where cops are actually kneeling at protesters. Never before have you been have you seen as many cops walking hand in hand and giving out hugs and kind of being that guardian mindset. You really haven't seen that in the protests before. This one feels different because you're seeing a number of the police leaders around the country joining and listening to the protesters and paying attention to these protests. Now, that's one reason. It's, you're seeing law enforcement, which I think is a great thing, looking at this from a different perspective. You know, they're, they're seeing this in a different way. They're kneeling, they're hugging, they're engaging the people there. Also, the age of the person protesting is different. This is a much younger group of people. You're seeing multiple races protesting. You're not seeing just one group or one race out there saying there's injustice. You're kind of seeing an entire community say this was wrong. There is no doubt that that's wrong. You're seeing also in a negative way, you're seeing protesters being taken advantage of by hoodlums who are beginning to loot. And they're starting to take advantage of the police presence being strong in an area and then looting in different areas. You're actually seeing the criminal element begin to take advantage of the protesters. And this is just different. You're seeing them using communication techniques to loot, using location of police. You're seeing them place bricks at strategic location on pallets to form more of a protest or a violent protest. This is just different. And I think that this is in some ways bringing us together, but it's also making police aware there may be two separate elements causing these problems. People that want to protest and have a great message, that's wonderful. I understand that. Police in general support that. But some of these people are absolutely stealing their protest and turning it violent. These things that I think we're sorting out, it's just, it's just different this time. Police Chief Dean Crest, 17 years as a police officer. Well, 30 years as a police officer, 17 years as a police chief. He works with FBI's LIDA. He's their national training leader there as well. So obviously the chief has a great deal of expertise. But that brings up something interesting too because you're talking about with the protests versus the riots, the need to have the warrior mindset and the guardian almost at the same place at the same time. So that brings up another interesting question. I remember after the Dallas police officers were assassinated, that their chief at the time, David Brown, said that police are being asked to do just about everything in society. So from there's a dog running around on the street, call the cops. There's not enough money for mental health. So what do we do? We call the cops. So are police officers in 2020 being asked to do too much, chief? Well, I I think that society's role has changed faster then police culture has changed. And I think any time the expectations of your society changes faster than your culture, then you've got some problems there. When you take mental health, for example, police being the, the answer to that question, police are equipped to answer things that turn wrong and they're given guns and handcuffs and they can take a person's rights. Sometimes mental health situations you know, they require something more than police have. Training, understanding, empathy, resources. I mean, 
yes, we're called upon for everything, and I think it's outpaced our cultural norms. So we're playing catch-up right now for sure. And that, of course, makes it more difficult because you you don't know what you're going to encounter on a daily basis. Some things you know well, some things you don't. Now, you mentioned accountability, and I want to ask about officer accountability because that's another big part of how you lead. Again, Chief Dean Crisp is with us, 17 years as a police chief. He's now teaching what he knows to other police departments to help modernize them, for lack of a better term. How do you get officers to hold themselves to a higher standard? You mentioned that in your TED Talk, which we have linked on KFYI.com if you want to check it out that it's got to get past that accountability block, if you will, to make sure the good cops are looking at the bad cops and saying, no, this isn't how we do business. How do you, how do you get that to happen in a big police department? Well, I think there's, there's several things I'd, I'd like to talk about there that I think will try to help us move towards that. But I do think that organizational accountability and personal accountability have to go hand in hand. Organizational accountability is encouraging officers to take personal accountability. And when they do, that the officer is held accountable and rewarded for that. For example, a lot of times in police forces, our employees who are on the edge or employees who are, let's say, less than desirable and problem employees and people who have had multiple use of force and multiple questions about their involvement in things, it's very difficult sometimes for larger agencies to deal with them because they have union protection, and they're protected by other officers. And we've got to get in concert with that. And I think a couple of things organizations need to do is, one, we really do have to look at our use of force. We really have to look and take a really hard look since the George Floyd case You know, is there a time when placing chokeholds are needed? Most agencies have outdated those years ago. We have to modernize and look at what's the best use of force and the most reasonable use of force. Some departments or some states have changed their use of force to what's necessary versus what's reasonable. And I think that's something that's going to be a debate as we go along. There is a difference between reasonable use of force and what's necessary. And I think in this case, you're seeing the officer might think that it was reasonable to put a knee on this guy's neck, but was it absolutely necessary? Man, that is ridiculous to believe that was reasonable. So when you look at this or necessary, use of force, we got to start there. Personal accountability of our officers, we have to encourage them and hold them to a higher standard, and we got to keep our good cops, no doubt about it. The, the third thing is good cops holding bad cops accountable. Colloquial or partner accountability is an absolute must. We've got to, you know, when we board airplanes, we tell people, if you see something, say something. we got to do the same thing in our police departments. We've got to encourage people, if they see something that's even close to the edge as it relates to conduct, they can't tolerate it. they got to do something about it. We will never move past Unless we get personal and colloquial accountability, if we don't encourage that, we'll never get past that. And I believe one of the last things is we've got to really take a hard look at how unions have a, a absolute hold on our departments and us moving some of these bad employees out. In some states, you don't have those. 
But I do believe that Minneapolis is a union state. And you know this officer was involved in, what, 12 instances prior to this? Mm -hmm. And when you look at that, you have to pay attention. Uh, We have to allow departments to move people out who do not belong there. And sometimes uh, union protection or other protections doesn't allow us to do that. And we've got to have the ability to move those cops. Well, in every crisis, there's an opportunity, and I think that this is a perfect opportunity to do things better. And, Chief, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your 17 years as a chief, 30 years as a cop, your expertise, your insight. And I think if we apply this in in a broad scale, we can do this in a way that is better for us, the citizens, and better for the officers and, and safer for everyone involved. You know, there's no better way to say it than the people are the people are the police and the police are the people. We're one together, and the only way we're going to solve all these things is we together start working on them and get focused on them and get committed to it. That's beautiful. Chief, I appreciate the time. This has been a fantastic conversation. I think there's only one other question I would ask you. It's about, do you have any plans for officers? So my best friend's a retired New York City cop, served for 20 years. And I know that being a cop changed him, and not necessarily for the better, because he did have to deal with the drudges of society, for lack of a better term. So what do you have in place? What do you have as far as ideas go so that officers can get help along the way so they don't end up when they retire, you know, being mentally exhausted? Let's put it that way. Well, you know, being mentally exhausted is certainly part of our police problem, too. It's not just when officers retire, but it's kind of like when you're in servitude for that many of years and you see the thing, it does change you. There's no doubt about it. I, I think we do have to take a closer look at how do we deal with these incidents. I think one of the biggest problems across the country is we we call this thing PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress syndrome, right? Mm -hmm. Or or post-traumatic stress disease or whatever it is. It's actually not a disease. It's actually caused by individual incidents. So I think when we have these officers who are involved in these incidents, we begin to get them help recognizing that incident. I did a study one time on officer wellness. And I found that a normal person will deal with traumatic stress instances probably 10 to 12 times their whole life. They'll deal with maybe a traumatic stress incident. And the number they found that most police officers who retire have actually been involved in over 200 traumatic stress incidences. When you start piling that up, man, you're talking about scar tissue on your brain. Mm -hmm. That really causes a major problem now. And so we need to recognize these incidents as they arise and not wait till they become so ingrained in us. we got to do something early with that. We should start addressing these issues really early on. And by the time you retire, it tends to be a little late, you know, because you are. It does happen to you. So we got to start early we got to recognize in these significant incidences. And I guarantee you every cop who's hearing my voice right now, if I were to say, just remember a time when you had a specifically stress-related incident, every one of them's got a visual image in their mind. We just don't forget them. They stick with us. Yeah, forever. Exactly. Exactly. I, I love the plan. I love what you're talking about. I think this is, this is exactly what we need, and it's the perfect conversation to have right now. So, Chief, I look forward to doing this again sometime, hopefully, hopefully soon, if that's okay with you. Man, I'd love to talk to you guys again. Thank you for all your support of police. Police need it. Remember, our cops are our friends, and the friends out of God remember that the cops out there, that the people are our friends too, man. we got to work together. It's the only way it gets done.
Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We have officially rolled out the Leaders Helping Leaders Network online e-learning accelerator class. Be sure to sign up before June 30th for the early bird special price of $397. Be one of the first 100 students to register and you will also get three bonuses with the early bird deal. You can sign up for this course at www.e.lhln.org. Again, that's www.e.lhln.org. Sign up, grab your laptop, and get ready to change your life.